It's a great point. Great clip there. I love history. I love to study history, learn about the past, people in the past, you know, notable events and places. And of course, the more that you look into history, the more that you'll notice there are certain dates repeatedly showing up in history books and timelines of significant events and stories about the past, right? If I say to you, a date which will live in infamy, what date do you think about? December 7th, 1941, right? If I say Black Tuesday, we're going to test your age here, the, the Great Wall Street crash, what year do you think of? Come on, teenagers. 1929, did somebody get that right? Yeah, a couple of you did. If I say Columbus sailed the ocean blue, 1492, right? That's the year Christopher Columbus landed in what is now the Bahamas. If I say the signing of the Declaration of Independence, 1776. How about the terrorist attacks on the Pentagon and the World Trade Center? September 11, 2001. We know these, don't we? These are dates that are etched into our minds because they represent events so significant that they've, they've had a profound effect on shaping human history uh, and really, in each case, permanently changing the course of untold numbers of people's lives. Right? But on this day each year. We commemorate a moment in history that didn't simply change the course of people's lives. It completely defined the lives of billions of people for all of eternity. And it, it's still doing that every single day. In fact, there's no other uh, event in human history that even comes close to the impact and implication of this date in our history. We often refer to it as Easter Sunday. Uh, of course, it's probably better described as Resurrection Sunday. And really this whole week, as we've been referring to a Holy Week, including the, the, the crucifixion and the resurrection. Although there are scholars who argue uh, for a date in the first week of April, AD 30, for Resurrection Sunday and the events of this week, church tradition is historically held to the first week of April of AD 33. And so there's some disagreement there, but there's also uh, some very compelling evidence, uh, in my estimation, to support the, the date of AD 33. So that's what we're going with today, okay? Uh, either way is fine. That date should be etched into our minds. Because the events of that first week in April of AD 33 changed the fabric of eternity. It was a cataclysmic shift in the means by which mankind would forevermore be able to relate to an almighty God. And before that fateful day, humanity was so horribly separated from God that specially chosen priests would have to continually make atonements for the sins of mankind so as to stay the wrath of God that we'd earned by our, our sin against him. So the relationship between God and man was only as strong as the next sacrifice or the next ceremony, which was dependent upon a priest getting every detail correct on our behalf. And then, and then Jesus came to the earth and changed all of that in that first week of April when he allowed himself to be crucified on a cross on our behalf. And then in an instant, by his sacrificial death, the veil of sin that separated mankind from God was torn in two, and we were given access to our Creator once again by grace through faith in Christ. That atonement, that death, uh, which we celebrated on Good Friday, last Friday, was the event that sealed the new covenant 
between us and God. The death of Christ, the shedding of his blood made atonement for our sins, all of our sins, once and and for all. In fact, every sin uh, that you've ever committed and every sin that you'll ever commit in the future was paid for in full by Jesus Christ on the cross. And the only response required of us to receive that new covenant is placing our faith in Christ, which not only means believing in him, by the way, but also repentance, of course, for our sins, and then taking up our cross and following him. That's what it means to place our faith in Christ. We repent of our sins. We follow him because we believe that he is who he said that he is. But to be clear, the atonement, that part, the salvation that is available to us today, that new covenant was made possible by his death on the cross. And we talked about that last Sunday. But there's more because God knew that from Jesus' atoning death on the cross forward, there would be men and women who would certainly demand proof that Jesus had indeed conquered death and fulfilled the law and ushered in this new covenant because God, uh, he could have simply called Jesus home right after his death to live with him in heaven. And of course he did do that, but not until after Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, when Jesus walked out of that tomb and he went to visit his friends several times over a course of about 40 days before leaving this earth. And so it wasn't that he accomplished his atoning work on Resurrection Sunday. You understand that? That happened already by his death on the cross. But that atoning work needed to be validated by his resurrection because if he had stayed dead, then death would have overcome him just as it had with mankind before him. In 1 Corinthians 15, 17, Paul said, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Okay, so we know the resurrection was necessary to validate his work on the cross. But again, he could have been resurrected without ever appearing to anyone here on earth. He could have simply gone back to heaven, but he didn't. He came back here for 40 days to be certain that those who knew him saw him and talked with him and ate with him and had communion with him and walked with him and watched him perform miraculous signs. All of the things that they'd done with Jesus before his death, you see. Resurrection Sunday was not only about a resurrection. It was also about evidence for us, for our benefit, so that we could testify to those who have yet to believe that Jesus was no mere man. Not simply a, a religious zealot or, or some kind of popular cult leader who died and stayed dead, like every other religious figure in history has, by the way. Rather, he was, and, and through his resurrection, he still is the living, breathing Son of God. This is, a, this is a date in history like no other, because this is the day that Jesus proved to the world that he was God in the flesh and that not even death could keep him from saving us. And so today we're going to celebrate the life of Christ, the life that we have living in us, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, by pointing out some of the significant proofs that Jesus offered to his friends then and he offers to us now on what is really the greatest date in all of human history, 33 AD. So let's turn there together to the gospel according to Luke, if you have your Bibles, chapter 24. If not, we'll, we'll put it up on the screen anyway. And we'll read through this chapter together today. And we'll stop along the way to examine some of this evidence that proved that Jesus was far more than just just a man, okay? And as this chapter opens up, we see at least five women 
including Mary Magdalene, going to the tomb where Jesus was buried three days earlier. Uh, they had spices. They probably had ointment as well to treat the body of Christ. And of course, when they arrive, they get quite a surprise. Let's read it together. Luke 24, starting at verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. And now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women, and that's plural, so there had to be at least five of them, with them, who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle a tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Okay, so these ladies go to the burial site, and of course, he's not there. And two angels explain to them that he's alive and well, and so they, they go back and they tell the disciples who, who just aren't buying it, right? Aside from the fact that it sounds like a, a tall tale, women in the first century uh, were generally not considered to be credible witnesses. So most of the disciples at least just completely dismissed them. And yet their story uh, was not only true, they were not only correct, but it was at least compelling enough to Peter to cause him to not only go to the tomb, but verse 12 says he ran to the tomb, right? And of course, Peter finds it empty as well, along with the, the grave clothes that Jesus was wrapped in, which highlights the first and the most significant, uh, one of the most significant aspects of his resurrection in 33 AD. Death became an empty promise, in fact, every proof, every shred of evidence that could possibly be used to prove that Jesus remained deceased came up empty. The cross that he was crucified on was empty. The tomb that he was buried in was empty. The grave clothes that he was wrapped in were empty. Every single place that one could point to to try and produce a body was empty. There was no body. And of course, all of that was for our benefit, you understand, so that human beings could testify to other human beings that Jesus had indeed risen from the dead. Jesus didn't need the stone to be rolled away so that he could get out of the tomb, right? John chapter 20, both in verses 19 and verse 26, we see Jesus either walk through walls to where the disciples were, or he was miraculously translated there, or at the very least, uh, the locked doors were miraculously opened. In, in several places, including Luke 24, 31, we see Jesus vanish from the presence of the disciples. And of course, uh, back in Acts chapter 8, verses 39 and 40, we saw Philip, the deacon, supernaturally translated from one location to another. Right. So what's the point? The point is the stone being rolled away wasn't for Jesus' benefit. It was for ours. So that his friends, these human beings, could walk into that tomb and see for themselves that he was gone and then give a first-hand account of the empty tomb. Likewise, the burial clothes. 
Jesus could have walked out of that tomb and thrown the linen cloths anywhere. He could have thrown them in the bushes or in a stream. They could have simply disappeared, vanished from his body. But Jesus leaves them there, which is a strong indicator, by the way, that the body wasn't stolen, as the Jews later claimed, because someone stealing a body wouldn't unwrap the linens from it first and leave them there. And so Jesus not only leaves them there, leaves them in the tomb. John 27 describes the cloth that was on Jesus's face as being folded up neatly in a place by itself in the tomb, which is just funny to me. (laughs) Jesus takes these burial cloths off and then he takes the time to fold them up before he leaves. I I wondered, you know, did his mother drill into him when he was a kid? You you, You need to clean up your room, you know, because here he's straightening up the place before he walks out. I love the detail that Luke gives us in his account of the gospel. So the stone is rolled back. The tomb is empty. The grave clothes are empty and folded up. There are witnesses, at least five women, uh, Peter, at least two Roman guards, as we see in chapter eight of Matthew's uh, account of the gospel. And all of these people, including the guards, testify that Jesus's body is gone. It's one thing for someone uh, to make up a story. Maybe even a couple of people to collaborate in that. It's another for many different people coming to the same place at different times. And this is the, this is the deal with very different motivations, right? The guards had everything to lose by testifying that Jesus's body was gone. In fact, they could have been executed for dereliction of duty, but they all testify to the same thing. The body's gone. Like the cross and the tomb, and the grave clothes. The body was gone because death itself was emptied. It was emptied of its promise, emptied of its power over all those who would forevermore call upon the name of the Lord. And that's part of what made this resurrection different than other resurrections, right? It's not not that this was the first resurrection to ever take place. In 1 Kings chapter 17, we see Elijah raise a young boy from the dead in Zarephath. In 2 Kings chapter 4, Elisha raises a young boy from the dead. And and one of my favorites in chapter 13 of 2 Kings, verses 20 and 21, is the Israelites were burying a dead man in haste because they're about to come under attack. Uh, They throw his body into Elisha's grave. Elisha's been long dead and buried. And it says the moment that the dead man's body touched Elisha's bones, the dead man came back to life and stood on his feet. And I've often thought if I was him, I would have like grabbed a femur or something and taken it home with me just for like future benefit. Start getting the scratchy throat and you, you know, grab the bone. The, the point is we see men being resurrected long before Jesus's resurrection. Of course, we know that Jesus raised several people from the dead, men and women, before his own resurrection. So when Jesus walked out of that tomb, That was by no means the first resurrection, but it was very different from all the rest because the others were only temporarily beneficial to the one that was being raised. Death was still looming over them at some future date, right? Jesus' resurrection, however, was eternally beneficial to all who would ever follow him after that. The promise and the power of death had been completely emptied through Jesus' death and resurrection. And now for all of us who follow Christ, physical death is really only a beginning to the rest of our lives, which is now eternal in Christ. 33 AD is the date that death became an empty promise. 
What a day. What a day. But there's much more. Let's keep reading. Verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. And then one of them named Cleopas answered, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. And moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that uh, they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he, interrupted, he interpreted to them, excuse me, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Okay, so Jesus walks with these disciples. He's talking with them about everything that has happened. And what's he do? He points them right back to the scriptures. Verse 27 says, In beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Okay? In 33 AD, the life and teachings of Christ were validated. All right? He, he's going to prove his resurrection to them later that night. But for, for, for the moment, he simply shows his followers through the scriptures how everything that has been written about him was true. Certainly, uh, we today have come to a place in faith where we accept the resurrection of Jesus Christ as truth. There are, are written accounts of eyewitnesses. Uh, there's the absence of a body. There's the work of the early church. There's the evidence of changed lives throughout history. There's most definitely a lot that we can point to to substantiate the claims of Christ's resurrection. But at the end of the day, arriving at the place where we say, I know that this is true. That's going to require some faith on your part. There's no way around that. And we'll get to that in a moment. But for those of us who have already come to that place where we claim to believe that Jesus did rise from the dead and is alive today, that means that we have to accept everything that he said and did and taught. Because his resurrection validated all of it. There's a great quote by C.S. Lewis. He once said, Christianity of false is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. You see, there's, there's really no middle ground. And yet there are so many today professing Christians who want the luxury of picking and choosing which parts of the Holy Scriptures are valid and which parts have become irrelevant. And, and by the way, I'm not talking about uh, varying interpretations of theological doctrines. We're human beings. There isn't one of us on this planet who has it all right. Okay, so uh, there will be different understandings of Scripture, and I get that. But I'm talking about professing believers who outright reject the validity of entire portions of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
I've actually heard several believers say that they only hold the red letters, the words of Jesus, as pure truth. And everything else in the Bible, including the Old Testament, is, is open for debate. The problem with that position is that some of those red letters <laughs> uphold the veracity of all the Scripture including the Old Testament that Jesus often referred to. And we don't, we don't have even uh, close to enough time to delve into that study because Jesus' position on Scripture is well-documented and extensive. But just to give you an idea, in Matthew 5, 18 and 19, Jesus said, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot. And if you look at that in the, in the Greek, he's talking about the smallest annotation that there was in the Hebrew language. will pass from the law until all of it is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And, th and then in Luke 16, 19 uh, through 31... Jesus is telling a story about a rich man who dies and he's being tormented in Hades. He calls out to Abraham who he can see across this great chasm and he asks him to send Lazarus, who's with Abraham, back from the dead to warn the rich man's brothers that to live differently so that they won't end up like him. And according to Jesus, Abraham responds this way. He said, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. That's as true today as it was then. In other words, if your heart is hardened to the word of God, you won't believe him even if you see somebody get up from the dead and walk around because the two are inseparable. You can't have one with the, without the other. The risen Christ is the fulfillment of the word of God. You can't choose one and reject the other. And yet we see that happening even today. People who don't believe in the word of God, the whole counsel of God, they don't accept his word, and yet they claim to be Christians. But Jesus himself, it says he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. If we say we accept the resurrection, then we must accept his word. And all that it says about him, all of its teachings, which of course have profound ramifications for our lives today. And if I may be this bold, I believe that part of the reason that we don't see more of the church, at least in America, living radically for Christ today is because we don't fully accept the word of God as truth. If we did, if we read it and we accepted it, I believe so much of the church would live differently than it does. Many have chosen to accept bits and pieces the parts that suit their own preferences, and then we reject the bits that make us uncomfortable. But Jesus' resurrection validated all of it, all of his word. And we must, therefore, if we're going to follow him, we must accept it on the whole for what it is. Okay, let's keep, let's keep going in our story. Verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while, we talked to us, while he talked to us on this road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. 
Okay, so here we see that Jesus is revealed to them alive and well, both through the scriptures, as pointed out in verse 32, and supernaturally, as pointed out in verse 31. 33 AD is the date when Jesus' disciples became his devotees. We won't spend a lot of time on this point because it's essentially what Andy Crouch was talking about in the video that we watched earlier. But I want to be sure not to overlook or underestimate the power of this as evidence for the resurrection. This is very compelling evidence, albeit circumstantial, that Jesus actually rose from the dead, okay? As he was being led away to die, his disciples panicked and they fled in every direction. They were literally running for their lives. So deathly afraid of being even mentioned in the same sentence as Jesus, we see Peter, one of those closest to Christ, deny him three times, even swearing and calling down curses on himself. This is pretty serious, right? Now fast forward to the book of Acts, which we just spent almost a year working through, and beyond Acts even, and we see these same disciples living a complete 180 from where they were. They're, they're radically preaching the gospel, including the resurrection. They're fearlessly defending the faith, willing to, and, and for most of them, actually dying for the sake of the gospel. What was the difference from the time Jesus was led away to die to the book of Acts and beyond? How are they now, all of them, completely fearless about preaching and defending the gospel? It was the resurrection. And of course, what came after it? That was the difference. That is what turned them from disciples to devotees. Men and women completely devoted to advancing the kingdom of God, no matter the consequences. Right? If Jesus had stayed dead, they would have stayed in hiding. If we go back to our text in verse 17, we know that these two followers of Christ, Cleopas and probably his wife Mary, we don't know who his companion was for certain, but we do know for certain that they were sad, verse 17. Then in verse 21, uh, they're clearly confused about everything that has happened. And then in verses 28 and 29 that we just read, it says, so they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us. For it's toward evening and the day is now far spent. And although it's not explicitly stated here, there was certainly still a real danger for followers of Christ to be out walking around at this point. So they urged Jesus to come in as it's getting late, it's getting dark, uh, possibly, probably for that reason, and certainly uh, without a doubt because of the way he was opening up the scriptures to them. So the disciples at this point are still sad, still confused, still afraid. We don't see any of them going around boldly preaching the gospel. When does that change? Once Jesus is revealed to them through the scriptures and also through supernatural revelation. You, you, could, you could possibly understand one or two of his disciples if Jesus had not appeared to them, maybe throwing caution to the wind anyway and going out and spreading the teachings of Christ. But the fact that every single one of them was running scared and sad and confused. And then after witnessing him alive and well, they go out boldly. In fact, they go out that night and run back to Jerusalem to tell the others. They begin to proclaim Christ to all the nations, which will involve the empowering work of the Holy Spirit, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But just the fact that every one of them made that radical shift in disposition and in attitude and in their actions concerning the gospel, that alone is very compelling evidence that the resurrection of Jesus actually did occur. 
because it testifies that those disciples had a very real revelation of Jesus Christ after his crucifixion, both through his word and supernaturally as he appeared to them and disappeared before them, uh, continuing to teach them and encourage them as he came and went several times over about a 40-day period. It's not only a strong proof of the resurrection, it's a lesson to be heeded uh, for all of us today because we can teach and preach Jesus all day long and we need to. But until we have a true revelation of Christ, both through his word and supernaturally in our hearts, we may be believers, even disciples, but we won't live the kind of devoted life that these early disciples did until we have a personal revelation of who Christ is in our lives. And that, by the way, is something that only he can do in our lives, in his sovereignty. That is an entire sermon series by itself. So we can't do that topic justice right now. But just to make the point, Jesus himself, in John six sixty five, he explains to his disciples that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Okay, and then in Matthew eleven twenty seven, he says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Right? So it's one thing to know about God. It's something entirely different to know him personally. And the difference is having a personal revelation, which he gives to us through his word and also supernaturally into our hearts. And only then can we truly become devoted to serving him the way these disciples did. And yet, with all of that, there's one more piece to this puzzle, okay? And we'll find it in, in the last part of our text this morning. Let's read it together, starting at verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Jimmy is probably mahi. Jimmy gave me some mahi the other week. It was fabulous. Sorry. I was thinking about eating fish when I read this every time. Jesus is out there. He said, cook me some fish. It's brilliant. And then he said to them, these are my words that I've spoken to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, right? This is the revelation of Jesus to his followers through the word of God, through the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. And then he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple uh, blessing God. So the revelation of Jesus to his disciples is now certain. But there's one piece left. 
in order for them to be able to carry out the work that he's assigned them to do. There's one piece left, okay? In 33 AD, our future was secured. And when we talk about our future being secure in the context of Jesus' death and resurrection, we're usually referring to our eternal security after this life, right? That's what we talk about. Dying and going to heaven and living forever. And that's good. We should talk about that. We should tell other people about that because obviously uh, that is what it means or at least part of what it means to have a secure future in Christ. That's all great. So we don't have to take away from that. But there's so much more to it than that. There's more to our future in Christ than just heaven after we die. There's everything in between now and then. And interestingly, that's the part of the future that Jesus focused on in his last words to his disciples before he left them and ascended into heaven. He didn't talk to them about heaven. He didn't say, hey, just hang on, fellas, do your best. Just hang on, because someday when you die, you're going to get to come to heaven and be with me. He didn't say that. He said, it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city till you're clothed with power from on high. Jesus is talking about their future here on earth, not their future in heaven. And yet when we talk about salvation and being a Christian, we tend to focus on eternity after this life. But look, that's the after party. Okay, the main act for this life is still going on for each of us as long as we're still here. And Jesus wants us to focus and engage with what's going on here and now. He said repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed to all nations. In other words, hey, fellas, I have a job for you to do. This is your future. And then he goes on to say, by the way, the only way that you're going to be able to accomplish that assignment is by the power of the Holy Spirit that will live inside of you. So go to where the people are, but don't try to do the work on your own strength. You just wait there until I give you what you need, the power that you need. Okay, so instead of thinking about our life in Christ as a membership card for heaven, we really should think of it as an assignment with eternal benefits. It's the greatest job in the world. It defines us. It fulfills us. And yes, it carries with it the promise of eternal reward. But until that day, when we pass from this life to the next, we have to get busy because there's a job before us to proclaim repentance and forgiveness to the world. We're, we're supposed to be telling people about Jesus with every breath, whether it's by word or our actions. Our very lives and the way that we live them should proclaim Christ. And because he knows that we'll never be able to do that by our own strength, he secured our future our ability in this life to carry out his will now by sending us the Holy Spirit. And he baptizes us in that spirit. In Acts 1.5, Jesus said to his disciples, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And that, that word baptize in the original Greek is the word baptizo. It literally means to overwhelm. And you know how people use that word? It was to describe ships that were sunken at the bottom of the sea sunken vessels. They were baptized. That's the word that Jesus used to describe what would happen to us 
when we receive the Holy Spirit, we'll be like that ship at the bottom of the ocean, completely overwhelmed by the sea. In fact, it is impossible to get to that ship without experiencing the awesome power of the ocean that surrounds it and fills it and overwhelms it. What a picture. That's how Jesus described the disciple, the believer, who's baptized in his Holy Spirit. That's how you will be in relationship to my spirit, he says, utterly overwhelmed by it. That is profoundly awesome. And so when you begin to understand that as we're filled with his spirit, we're not only given the power to carry out his great commission to us, but that it will be impossible for people to even encounter us without experiencing that awesome power of the Holy Spirit that we've been completely overwhelmed by. That is when disciples become devotees. That is what moves people from merely believing in Jesus to following him everywhere that he leads them. That's what makes people cast off their fear and sadness and confusion and live radical lives for Jesus Christ. That's what leads people to lay down their lives for others. That's what causes people to take great risks for the sake of the gospel because they've been utterly overwhelmed by the Spirit of God. The reality of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection is certainly the gateway to our eternal hope. Yes, there's nothing better than that, but there's much more than that. For it not only emptied death of its power and promise over us, but it validated everything that he lived and taught, which means that we not only now have solid ground to believe in him, but we've been given the power to act on that belief, that faith, the power of his Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. That, my friends, is what this date in history is all about. The power of his resurrection that we have inside of us by way of his Holy Spirit that he wanted to give us so much that he was willing to die for it first. There's no other power on earth that even comes close to that. And he's, he's offered to overwhelm us with it, to completely submerge us in it, in that power. Why, why would we ever succumb to a life of fear or bitterness or confusion or sadness or mediocrity when we have the power of Christ's resurrection available to us. Please hear me. Because this is the result of what Jesus did for us by his death and resurrection. The result is you don't have to live in fear. You don't have to live in confusion. You don't have to live in constant pain. You don't have to live in sadness. Because he overwhelmed all of it. On that day. About 2,000 years ago. That's what this day is about. It should be etched into our minds. 33 AD. My God. That's a day worth remembering. Let's pray.